Hello, and welcome to Harder Than It Looks, Parking Uncovered, a podcast to facilitate connections and illuminate real solutions to common problems within the parking and mobility industry. I'm Brian Wolf, President and CEO of Parker Technology, and I'll be your host as we speak with parking professionals from across the industry at all levels to uncover tips, tricks, and best practices to manage what we all know is harder than it looks parking a car. Joining me today on the show is Isaiah Mao, president of Pave Mobility and the esteemed host of the Parking Podcast. Isaiah Mao has worked in the parking industry for over 15 years and has managed nearly every facet of parking management in the municipal setting and possesses a comprehensive background in enforcement collections and implementing paid parking. In his current role, role as president Isaiah is responsible for all municipal-related activities at Paved Mobility, including business development, client relations, and operations. Isaiah, interestingly enough, as you probably already know, produces and hosts the famous parking podcast. World famous. The world famous, in, in fact, parking podcast, a, a podcast about the $100 billion parking industry and the people that make it go. As an industry ambassador, frequent speaker, and author, Isaiah serves on the IPMI Advisory Council as the co-chair of the Mobility Task Force Committee and serves on the board of directors for the IPMI CAP board. Isaiah is also a published author with three books, including Sustainable Parking and Design and Management, published in 2016, A Guide to Parking, published in 2018 and upcoming publishing this summer, a guide to implementing paid parking. So he is decorated. In fact, in 2014, Isaiah was awarded the chairman's award from IPMI. In 2015, he was recognized by the NPA as a 40 under 40 recipient. And then in 2019, Isaiah was again recognized by the IPMI as the James Honeycutt cap parking professional of the year, which is that's pretty awesome. That's special. So Isaiah has earned a master's degree, an MBA in, from the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. And he's also commissioned as an honorary Kentucky colonel by the Commonwealth of Kentucky and an honorary Arkansas traveler by the state of Arkansas. In today's show, we'll cover all things automated parking enforcement, including comparisons to gated facilities and manual enforcement. And we'll touch on some best practices and the pitfalls of mailing notices. But most importantly, and finally, we'll get to the bottom of how one becomes an honorary colonel of the Commonwealth of Kentucky and an honorary Arkansas travelers. You can tell we're going to have a lot of fun. Isaiah, welcome to Harder Than It Looks. Yeah, thank you for having me on the podcast. As you mentioned, I have my own podcast. I've had you on. And now my bucket list has been checked off to be on your podcast. Thanks. For uh, that's that's very kind of you to say. So before we get started, okay, you and I both have to bask in the glow <laughs> of what happened on January 18th for the first time in 26 years, right? So Thank Michigan God. won the national championship. You called it. I, you gave me credit for calling it, but you called it way back in August, which is awesome. And I was wondering if that was in the middle of the season. I went back and found our episode, and we actually recorded it before the season began, but it aired during the season. But yeah. we said, or I guess I said that 
I put my house on it. Michigan's winning the national championship year. I may have said it every year for the last 20 years, and I'm I'm finally right because I got it. Yeah. But yeah, what a special <sighs> day for my family and I and alumni like yourself. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. And I'll just say to all of the Alabama fans and particularly the Georgia fans, I think you could have put Georgia on the field that day and we would have beat them too. And I live on the border of Georgia and Tennessee, so I hear it a lot that we're lucky we didn't have to play Georgia. And blah, blah, yeah, blah, blah. blah. Uh, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy we won. And uh, yeah, it's there was a, an alumni. Was it Rick Eisen or what's his name? He, That's yeah, probably Rich Eisen for Rich Eisen, yeah. the end. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and he was just talking about the sports and how it marks the passage of time. And I was like, he really hit the nail on the head because it's like people that don't understand sports say, "How do you?" care so much about 18 year olds kicking a leather ball or putting a ball through a hoop. I'm like, it's about, I remember when I was five or six, Tim Biakapatuka running right. crazy at right. Ohio state, watching that with my grandpa who's now passed and my dad, and then getting to experience the national championship in 1997, yeah. we were in Okinawa, Japan, and we were listening on the radio. Oh, that's DC and Brady as the backup won the national championship. So it's, it's, I don't know. It's just, it was so special spending that, time with my brothers and my dad and have those memories and look back at those different milestones. I don't know, yeah. It was a special moment for us. That's awesome. I can tell you that, and I probably said during your podcast, my son is 21. And so if you think about it up until when he was 18, he had only one memory of Michigan beating Ohio state in all of his years, which wow. is crazy. Right. And he had no memory of Michigan ever being good. And so it, it he's a, terrible at math. Was he at least born in 97? He was. So ironically, my daughter was two months old when we won the national championship. She was born the night after we beat Ohio State. So uh, my wife went into labor after we went to bed the night after. Probably Michigan, from you Ohio. screaming so loud. Yeah, it might have been. It might have been. So that's good. So all good fun. And good shout uh, out. I'm sure there's a great parking uh, department for the University of Michigan. And, yeah. Uh, yep. Steve Dolan. I and want to recognize them. Yeah. Yep. All of those, all those folks up in, in Ann Arbor for sure. All right. Here's what I like to do. I know your convention is to ask people how they got into parking. You will get there because what I'd like to do is hand you the mic and you go back as far as you want and get, tell us your story, like where it started and not way before parking and just Give us a little flavor for how you got from one place to the next. Yeah. And, and then ultimately, obviously, how you landed in parking and where you are yeah. now with Pave. I joke that I've been in parking for 37 years because I've always had a little bit of OCD. And as a kid, I had this little Hot Wheels garage. I've told the story before, but it has it held 20 cars. And I had yep. a set, 20 cars in my little garage. And every night I'd line them up. And my grandma thought it was funny how neat I was and she snuck in an extra car and just as a one two-year-old kid I couldn't find a place for that car and I would get so upset and throw it and cry and they would record it it was this big family thing and and I laughed because like wow 38 years later I'm still trying to get that extra car in that extra space and that was wow serendipitous I guess but I actually was graduating from school I was working at a bank making nothing part-time, but they were paying for my master's and then got to know some executives at Republic Parking. It was in the same headquarters as our bank. Yeah. And they're always looking for people that can travel and go manage operations, people that college 
coming out of college. They had a good manager's training program. So I went to Charlotte to interview with Bank of America on a at their headquarters for some management training program and then didn't get it. And I'm so thankful I didn't get it. I was hurt at yeah. the time, but landed with my plan B, Republic Parking, and haven't looked back since. So Yeah, that's great. years ago, yeah. That's great. Okay, so you're working at the bank, though. That's how you met yep. the executive, they, yep. right? I was in the same headquarters as Republic Parking, and they would come down to yeah. cash their big checks. I was like, man, I got to get into parking. This is where the money's at. So did they come in with wads of cash, too, from yeah. the parking machines or the, from yeah. the yard boxes? It's funny. So the executives would come in to cash their whatever checks or get cash for the weekend. But also the local operation would come in. And we didn't like them because they these machines would only give change in gold coins back in the day, the kiosk, the Shelby machines or whatever, Hamilton. And so they would come in needing $500 in gold coins. And I would always have to get them because... They're heavy, and I was the young, yeah. strong kids. Yeah, so I got to know the Lindsey Daniel, Britton Stance, some of the operational team members coming in for change for the meters. Yeah, that's great. Scott Gould, who's on the Parker team, he, he worked for a parking operator for 15 years or so, and he used to tell stories about walking across the street from the garage to the bank with $45,000 in cash in a nondescript brown paper bag sort of under oh. their arm. <laughs> If people had known that he had 45 G's, they probably would have rolled him yeah. and then grabbed his cash. It's wild. Yeah. We have a week-long festival in Chattanooga called Riverbend. Yes. Yeah. The amount of cash it brings in is wild. And then I used to work in Louisville and they had something called Thunder Over Louisville, which is the Thursday before the Derby. They had the, the largest fireworks display in North America. And I don't want to give any people listening bad ideas and tell how it works, but we were walking around with hundreds of thousands of dollars of cash and we've gotten better now with security escorts and and wiser but there's some pretty wild when this was a cash-based business there's yeah. still a lot of cash but nothing like it was back you know 15 20 years ago yeah that's that's funny it's the things you don't think about right so certainly you, you were it sounded like you were born to be in parking so yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I was not born to be in parking and so i consider myself eight years enlightened here too. And then, uh, of course, I, I've got a podcast now, Harder Than It Looks, because parking is a lot harder than it looks. Yeah. I love the name of your podcast because I was, it's, it has a theme and I love how you dive into that and well done. But whether you're born into it or you're eight years into it, the, the old adage, once you're in, yeah. you're never getting out. So never getting you're out. You're a lifer, Brian. All the institutional knowledge that we have now yeah. is, it's valuable, right? Yeah. Certainly right. to other parking folks. Okay, so now get us up to speed here. Paved mobility, automated parking enforcement. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I worked for Paved Mobility, a wonderful company. was hired by Fred Bredemeyer, who I used to work with at a parking operator. And uh, what we do is we put license plate recognition LPR cameras in a parking lot or garage. We read when the vehicle comes in. We capture the plate number. We then compare it if they're credentialed. Are they a permit holder? Did they pay the mobile app? Did they pay at the kiosk? Are they on a VIP list? After that, they park, and then we see if they paid, how long they pay, and other we can do other things, see if they're a handicapped plate or disabled veteran plate. Maybe they get free parking in that location, but we go through the, the checklist, and if they didn't pay, we simply look up the, the address and mail them an invoice for the amount owed as opposed to walking around and putting parking tickets on, on windshields. So that's it in a nutshell. Benefits 
just so many benefits, but I'm sure we'll get into that, but not having to have labor enforcement, not having to put in expensive equipment. We don't charge for our installations up front. So it's, it's really skyrocketing the, this vertical in the industry, this technology, a lot of companies doing it and, and you'll see why it's just so many benefits to it. Yeah. Okay. So then how do you know that person's address? Yeah, we were able to do a DMV lookup and mail, whether it's private or public. There's rules with the Fair Drivers Protection Act. As long as you're abiding by those, then you can do a DMV lookup on them. Okay. And then do you help collect on the back end as well? Yep. We do the full collection. We have a citation management where customers can go on and dispute. We'll, again, look up the address, mail first, second, third reminder notices, send it to collections. We can provide our users with a scofflaw list of someone's on the scofflaw and they enter in a week from now, we could send an email saying this car owes a thousand dollars and they just entered in this garage at this time. And, uh, the operator or the owner can go put a boot on the vehicle. I'll personally do that. We just have the technology that can enable that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you've been in that job now a year. Yeah. A little, a year next month. Okay. And it's a different job for you, right? It's a, it's a little bit bigger job. And so tell me what you've learned in a year. Yeah, it's, it, I'm more sales focused. I think with this new role, I used to be operations. Sure. Um, I think I'm sure, I think there's, uh, it, I've always tried to play nice in the sandbox because I was an operator competing against other operators. Now I'm selling to operators. So my previous enemies slash competitors <laughs> are now put food on my table. So luckily I think that's one advice I'd give to listeners is just get along with your competitors, get along with others. Yeah. Cause you never know this industry is so small. One day you're competing against them. Next thing you're working for the, maybe a company you were bashing. So I tr- always try not to negative sell. And luckily that worked out cause now I'm selling to to operators. So that's one thing I've learned is just to have a good reputation, treat others how you want to be treated. And then, yeah, it's, I don't want to get into contract details, but I've never been, I've gotten some bonuses for meeting metrics, client retention and happiness. And this is a strictly like a sales base. So I'm, I'm motivated. I'm getting yeah. a, what you kill. So every day yeah. I'm waking up saying, how can I help our company grow? And it's exciting. So it's, probably the most excited I've ever been waking up for a business in, in my career. So I'm really happy with the culture of the team. It has that young startup feel. We have yeah. 100 employees, but it's still, you just got the excitement and the hard work every day. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So the first pro tip I'll, I'll tug on my ear around taking care of people and, and acting admirably yeah. because you're right. You never know tomorrow. It's particularly now as parking begins to accelerate consolidation occurring, uh, your competitor could be your colleague mm. in a day. Yeah. And, uh, you have, you've got a reputation and, uh, you've got to, you got to just make sure everything is, is done the right way. So hats off to you for that. I'm sure your reputation is sterling. Yeah. And, I hope so. uh, yeah, but it's a small industry and yeah, yeah. I just learned that right away. Yeah. And then you're a man after, after my own heart, I've been sales and marketing for 30 years in some way, shape or form. And I am a very firm believer that leaders of organizations need to be sales champions above all else because nothing happens until it gets sold. And then of course, you've got to have a strong operations side of the house to be able to drive 
repeat growth and or expansion of existing customers. But if you don't win that customer in the first place, nothing yeah. happens. Yeah. So and, and uh, I like, yeah, sorry to interrupt. No, yeah. No. Uh, and I like that I have that operations base. I think it helps me with sales because I know the insides and out of parking. And more importantly, I've never been a fan of the model of the, the salesman who sells something, makes all these promises, and then says, now I'm going to introduce you to a product manager, and they walk away. And the product manager gets it live, and then they hand it over to the sales 1-800 number. And, and I know some companies are large enough, and that's the way they operate, and they do a good job at it. But I've I've sold that. I'm going to be a part of this from the beginning to the end. I'm going to be your project manager. I'm going to be, here's my number. If you have an issue six months from now, I'm going to answer the phone. And yeah, because I just, that's in my DNA, the operations, getting those calls at two in the morning because the garage is, <laughs> people are stuck in the garage or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that is one of my hidden favorites of parking people. And that is parking people pick up their phones. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and of course, you know, you just never know what calamity is on the other end of that phone call, but they pick up their phones, which I, I uh, you know, I came from an IT world and that was, you know, that they could hide behind voicemail and blah, blah, blah. Right. But parking, you got to be out in front. You got to pick up your phone. Oh, man. I, when I worked for Louisville, we had, man, I want to say 20, maybe 18 garages, five yeah. lots. And, it's Louis bigger than you think. It's one of the fastest growing, largest yeah. cities in America. Yeah. But we had those Nextel phones where it would people could radio you. And I probably shouldn't use this term. I don't use it lightly, PTSD. But when I hear that noise, I still freeze because <laughs> every night you go to bed, you're putting your kids to bed, and that radio would chirp about some issue downtown, something going on, some gate broken, and it was yeah and. As a millennial, I will say, um, I do prefer text, email, over the phone calls, but I've been called out. I've had good mentors saying, pick up the phone and call me. <laughs> it's <just> like, <laughs> I've learned over the years, like, obviously I'm always going to answer, but I, sometimes I got to be proactive, make that call and not just text, email. Yeah. That's, that's where business is done. Yeah. Sometimes you got to go old school. And pick yeah. Up yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that is so funny. And I, sounds, I remember. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I remember one time, this was, my daughter was probably 12 or 13. She'd just gotten her phone and, and I went and looked at the activity on the phone. And of course there were like 3000 texts and she had talked for exactly one minute. Yeah. I can't imagine the, the future helped all do sales, but yeah, they're going to send memes to each other till the deals close. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But my son also did an internship with a good friend of mine who's, he's old like I am. And, and he was blown away by how closely he was tied to his email. So he, he is learning quickly that you got to check email too, because it's still the old workhorse of, of business. Yeah. Oh, I remember, I hate to keep bringing up Louisville. Actually, I love Louisville. But when I first, I'd been in parking for a while, but they were not big email users. And then Louisville, it was, the email was everything, even emergencies, yeah. the gates broke. And so I've. Yeah. Even now I've gotten a habit of every minute just looking at the, the, the phone to see if an email came in. Good for you. All right. So automated enforcement, gateless is, feels like it's, I don't know if it's taking over the world, but it's certainly taking off. And so maybe you could give me your thoughts on, mm -hmm. I think we could all agree that gateless is probably not applicable everywhere. Yeah. But what's the perfect use case versus having a gated facility from your perspective? Yeah, I, I think. 
gated solutions play an important role in the parking industry. I think there's a, a big use for them. I think security, safety concerns, barriers, keeping people out of certain sections. I do think that they are good at collecting money up front. So I, I think there's great usage. I just think that number one, with COVID, a lot of cities, universities, maybe their budgets were, were decimated and their parks control systems at the end of life. And they're faced with, okay, it's going to be $300,000 for this garage to replace it or millions when you're talking about multiple garages. And that's yeah. where the, the gateless solution can come in because a lot of the companies that do the automated parking enforcement, PAVE in particular, we do not charge up front. So it's zero dollars to install all the cameras the signage all the work needed to go frictionless so it's a pay a million dollars or put this other solution in free that we feel is going to capture even more revenue than a gated solution we have some studies it's, it's been pretty close i think we had one that was gated and then we put in our solution our solution is bringing in more revenue now but this was the garage was gated during after covid so it's we're still yeah. doing some data analysis i think you may say how I think a gated, you're going to collect 99% of parkers for the time parked. And I say 99% because gates do break. People do tailgate or credit cards get jammed or they're not using parker and a security guard. Anytime the intercom is used, presses nine to let them out of the, yeah. out of the garage versus they do a good job collecting that revenue up front. I think when you go gateless, there's two big surprises that I learned for, for PAVE is that when people pay in advance, they pay more. We found that. I'm not trying to cheat the customer. It's just, it is what it is. I think when people park in a garage and they go to an hour meeting, they park for 59, 58 minutes, they go out and they pay for 58, 50, they pay for an hour. Yeah. When there's no gates, they park and they say, my meeting's an hour, but maybe I'm going to grab coffee with the boss. Maybe I'll talk to Susie. They, I'm going to pay for two hours. So right off the bat, when people pay in advance, they pay more. They're doubling their payments often. So the transient revenue is more. Secondly, I think you can change the rate structure. A lot of people go to $5 for the first three hours or versus 50 cent for 30 minutes, 50 cent for an hour. So maybe people pay more in advance just because the rate structures are changed. Yeah. And then what's interesting too is, yeah, without gates, we found about 84% of people will pay similar to the 80-20 uh, Pareto rule, if, if you're familiar with that from economics, but it's hard to think 16% of people aren't paying. That's, I need to go gated. But what's shocking is that like a lost ticket fee in garages, they'd have that. Now there's a, a new fee. It's fair to pay fee. Yeah. Often that's 20 times more than what they would have paid. Meaning the garage, a gate would have captured that $2 for two hours part. Let's say they don't pay. We mail a notice. It's Often the rates are dictated by the rules of the garage, the city ordinances or, or whatever, but let's just say it's $50. We mail a $50 or $45 notice and we're seeing 65 to 75% of people are paying those. In a gated environment, you're going to get that $2. Maybe you miss out it in the gate list, but in, you're getting $50, which is 100 parkers parking for yeah. 50 cents. Yeah. We found that the revenue versus gated is often more with gateless, surprisingly. Okay, so then... I guess I, I have, and maybe I'm being naive, but I, I've always felt like to get, to receive a ticket and have that $50 fee feels a little unfriendly to the customer, yeah. right? Yeah. So how, did, how have you handled that? Yeah. So a few things. Number one, 
we talked about gated, the benefits over manual enforcement, it, not even close. We've done yeah, a study I mean, where a pilot labor, where right? a couple hundred thousand dollars a month and more in revenue because someone walking around their handheld typing in every plate, they're going to come to that garage every two or three hours or capturing. There was a study in parking today that said the average PEO at a meter or issuing tickets captures about 15, 10 to 15% of the violators. When you're doing cameras, you're capturing 95 to 97% of every violator. So you're getting almost every violator versus someone walking around, even if they're using an LPR in a car, they're driving around. So the revenue potential is, is, is amazing using this technology. So number one, they're issuing tickets already, right? They're issuing $50 tickets from a handheld. I would even argue that, and they're probably booting some locations, boot and tow for non-payment. So I would argue that getting a notice in the mail a, a week later saying, hey, you forgot to pay, it's okay. Here's our failure to pay rate is much softer, much kinder than tickets on the windshield. While they're in the city, they go online, bash the city, getting booted, getting towed. And the rate, that's the one thing is that our solution is a tool. I'm working on a presentation for IPMI about this. And I do think that this, this tool has gotten a, a bad name from some people using the tool not properly, meaning they're mailing out $100, $200 tickets when they garage payment would have been $3. And, and I don't think that's fair. I think you have to find out what that rate is. And again, yeah. this is a tool we will work with the client owner or the city or the university on what that rate should be. It's different per market. But on the other hand, I've, Brian, if I went into Walmart and filled up my bags with groceries and said, I'm not going to pay, everyone would be on board with Walmart mailing and fighting and trying to push that person in court and mailing letters and sending it to collections. If someone goes into a bar and um, <laughs> racks up a tab and then exits without paying. It's the same thing. We would be furious with that person. But for some reason with parking, people think you don't have to pay. I, you know, this is, but this is yeah. someone's property. Yeah. And I think that enforcement is key and getting that revenue and having a fair enough fine that encourages people to pay. Cause a lot of owners will say, that's all we want. We want you to pay yeah. our our mobile app, we want you to pay our kiosk. And we're seeing that we see the transient revenue skyrocket for our customers because when I'm driving in Chattanooga, we have the camera speeds that say enforced by camera on the school zones. What do you do? You slam on your brakes, you drive really slow. Cause I know they get me every time I'm, I'm going 10 over. So it's when people put in these cameras and the signage enforced by camera, more people pay transit, which is the end goal. So yeah, I'm yeah. off my soapbox. Yeah, no, it's a, it's good. You're passionate about what you do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, so I, I think it's, uh, it, it's, it is interesting the balance between I could have paid $2 and I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to pay a lot more, right? Mm -hmm. Mailing, I could see where that would probably be a, a little softer than a ticket. So here's my question. This is the debate inside of Parker. It's like now you remove the gates, you remove the intercom, but you probably don't remove people's questions, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, because somebody pulls into the facility and first of all, there's no gate. So they assume that they can pull in. And what, what have we done in the last 10 years when the gates open? What do we assume if the gates are up, entrance and exit? Yeah. Free the assumption is it's free parking. So I think <laughs> well, I'll let you finish. But I think as an industry, we got to do better when you go gateless, because a lot of times we don't control the payment sign that's on the owner and the operator. And we encourage yep. them. 
you've got to let people because I agree there. It's not fair. And a lot of times a lot of we have a the first one's free. Like we will give a one time courtesy void if someone yeah. complains they didn't know. But I'm sorry to interrupt, Kiko. Yeah. No, that, that's exactly where I'm going. And so we're trying to get the word out ourselves that just because you've removed the intercom doesn't mean you don't have questions anymore. Those people still have questions. Yeah. And you get into a gateless environment, you probably had better provide some answers to your customers so that they're not upset that there was nobody there to tell them. Of course, they're not going to read the signs because nobody reads the signs. Yep. But, you know, have any questions? Do you need to know if you need to pay or not? Call this number, shoot this QR code, and you can talk to somebody and help you answer the question of whether you really should be paying because they assume that it's free if you go in or they it's hard to restrict access when there are no gates for sure. Yeah, I 100%. I, I've, I've heard concerns from operators that, is a solution like this replacing the need for operators? And I've always said, no, I, my company, I do not want, I've dealt with the homeless and people urinating in a stairwell and elevators going down. And I don't want to do that ever again for the rest of my life. Right. We still need the, we still need customer service. I had Brandy Stanley on my podcast talking about as technology evolves and we go to automation, how that human approach is still needed and uh, friendly face and it could be through a, a solution like parker technology where you press a button and you're seeing someone and you're talking with someone or it could be our solution that allows you to repurpose your parking enforcement officers into ambassadors to help people pay to let people yeah. know yeah i'll say a few things too like some of the the mailing of letters typically the loudest i think people get is they paid something they paid for an overstayed hour. their welcome is that what usually happens they yeah, paid yeah. for an hour and part for three. And that was one lesson we learned. And we have solutions now where you can have a different letter mailed saying, uh, hey, we do see that you paid. Unfortunately, you did not pay enough. Go back to the Walmart. Can you imagine paying for half your groceries? But I, right. I do have some empathy. They paid something. They overstayed. Maybe that's a lesser amount. Maybe that's $20 or $25 or yeah. having different language that acknowledges that. Cause usually they're screaming, I pay, this is a, a scam. And then yep. explaining to them that so that's been helpful. And, but having the customer service to answer that phone when they call to be able to explain that having someone in the garage or an intercom that says, make sure you pay more longer than you think you're going to stay. Cause you don't want to get that notice in the mail. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. All right. We've talked about the criticisms you had mentioned in the run-up to this, talked about advocacy. T tell me more about what you mean by advocacy. Yeah, there's a great article in Parking Today. I know you're Parking Today fans. I've seen you in, in the magazine there, and you, I think you write a column there. It's really, I look forward I to reading do. it. Yeah. yeah. There's a, actually just this month, it's uh, January when we're recording, but Craig Bagden with Park Client wrote a, a great article about advocacy that we have this new technology and new ways of doing things, but we do not advocate. We do not have a, a governing body that's helping navigate through this. And I agree to, to figure out if we can self-regulate this, how do we do a better job of educating? How do we do a better job of not mailing a $500 ticket? How do we self-regulate and protect driver's protection, different things as a group? And I think that I, I really was encouraged by that article. We reached out to him because I think we have to do a better job as the industry because as we said for years when the gate was up on the entrance and exit, oh, it's free parking today. So 
I do yeah. have sympathy when the elderly person drives in, sees no gate. Oh, it's free parking. Granted, there's a billion signs throughout the garage saying, download this, scan here, <laughs> pay here. But I have some empathy, but I think we need to do a better job as an industry educating and talking. And that's why I'm glad I'm on this podcast to talk about this. And we know a, a certain large company just acquired a certain large or a company for millions of dollars. And, and so to me, I think that's the industry's forced to. I think this is going to be yeah. in every lot or every town in America in no time. So I think we should self-regulate. We should educate and get this out there where others do it for us. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked a lot about the parking industry really could help itself in a lot of ways. So my hidden goal or my hidden goal, my hidden dream would be that this podcast crosses over yeah. and actually non, non-parking people actually listen to it because they can relate to the fact that it's harder than it looks. But yeah. In a lot of ways, we're just trying to help people understand that it, it's not free and, and you wouldn't walk out of a Walmart or a grocery store without paying for your groceries. You would never think to do that. And yeah. they're thinking about the hard, they're thinking about the bananas and the beer, but Walmart pays taxes and there's all kinds of, they've got to pay for the labor to take care of the store and yeah. they got to pay the parking lot and all those things. Those are the real expense that people aren't really thinking about when they think about why do I have to pay for parking, yeah. right? And, and on the flip side, I did work for a large operation that did this. They drove around with vehicles, mobile LPR, and they would read the plates. If you didn't pay, they would mail a notice. Uh, the problem was the the notice rate was like, it was like $5 to pay all day at the in the lot. If you don't pay, we will invoice you five fifty or six dollars. What do you think happened? No yeah. one paid because no one paid. there's so the chances that I don't get caught. There's a chance it's a snow yeah. day. Yeah. And then we just encouraged a don't pay, maybe you will or will not get caught. So I think I do think there needs to be a a a rate that says like the lost ticket, it's I yeah. think it should be above lost ticket because you're having to pay for the DMV lookups, mail multiple letters, customer service, but yeah, it's just finding that balance. Yeah. Okay. All right. We could talk about this all day. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to keep going though. I'm going to no, resist great. temptation. I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. So, okay. How in heaven's name, this is what I want to know. How does one become an honorary Kentucky colonel yeah. by the Commonwealth of Kentucky? Yeah. Well, what is it? First of all, like a full colonel, this is yeah. a military thing. Tell me, how does one become a, a colonel of the Commonwealth of Kentucky? Yeah. It's an honorary commission only. So obviously they're not, I'm not in the Kentucky <laughs> militia, but when you think of Colonel Sanders with Kentucky fried chicken, Kentucky, that he was a, a, a an honorary Colonel, a Colonel JFK, Muhammad Ali, a lot of famous people that were a Kentucky Colonel that's bestowed upon. It's an honorary commission bestowed upon them by the governor of Kentucky. Obviously I'm not in that class. I did work for Louisville for many years doing parking for the Thunder Fireworks, the Kentucky Derby, the University of Louisville Cardinals basketball games, their arenas downtown, the Yum Center. Um, and David Gross, who used to work for the city of Louisville, was a mentor of mine. He's now passed away, but he was a, a Kentucky colonel and only a Kentucky colonel can nominate another Kentucky colonel. So he wrote something based on my volunteer work for all the parking and he just wrote up a nice nomination and it was accepted. And so 
Gary Means, I don't know if you're sure you're familiar. He's the That's chairman right. of the board for IPMI with Pivot Parking, but yep. he's a Kentucky Colonel. There's a few of us in the industry. We just think it's really fun. I have a nice plaque and it's just my <laughs> fun fact. Yeah. That's and, awesome. Yeah. All right. And an honorary Arkansas traveler, what does that mean? That one's nothing. What happened, uh, Ken Smith, who's now with SP Plus, he was with City of Omaha at the time. Yeah. Uh, they, we were talking about the Kentucky Colonel. He said that. Uh, the state of Nebraska has one called a Nebraska Admiral. It's a landlocked state, so it's a joke. It's a fun thing to when someone retires or something. So he nominated me for that Admiral, Kentucky Admiral. So as a joke, I started looking at how many state <laughs> ones are there. Arkansas is pretty – if you visited Arkansas, you check in at a visitor center, they you fill out a form, and they just mail you something. So I was like, I saw that. I was like, this is too good to pass up. So, <laughs> so it all just became gonna, part of the joke. All 50 states, I'm going to I'm okay. gonna try to get a silly. There's some funnier. There's a saga, one in Indiana. I can't remember, but it's a Native American term, but they have some fun ones. So, so the governor bestows the Sagamore on the yes. wall back? Yeah, that's the yeah. one. Yeah. 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 So if it seemed that that seemed pretty, it seems like a pretty, uh, what's what's the word? Exclusive. Yeah, exclusive. Yeah. It's it's not. Some of them are just for fun, like the yeah, Kentucky yeah. Admiral or Nebraska Admiral. But yeah, some of them are like, who won the Nobel Prize from Indiana? Got this. That yeah, one. yeah, yeah. That's good. All right, I aspire to get the Sagamore of the Wabash. I, I yeah, got okay. the We're gonna work on that for you. Harder than it looks when it goes. Hard, viral. It, it <laughs> definitely. You know what's funny? Okay, so that's an idea because we're looking. We're always looking for ideas about segment two, right? Like, yeah. I, I we segment two is really about. Other things that are harder than it looks besides parking. So if you have any ideas, let me know. All right. So then we'll transition then into, it's not really a lightning round, but I ask the same questions to all of my guests. And so the, the first one is if someone utters a phrase and it's not you, obviously, if so, but if someone utters a phrase and they're like, oh, that, that, that is Isaiah mile, right? Let me think of I'm for the poor podcast listeners. If anybody's sad enough to listen to all eight of them, they hear me talk about my, I have phrases, right? Let's keep going is one of my phrases. If you hear, let's keep going, it was Brian Wolf. Uh, <laughs> it's not over until I win. If you hear that phrase, you definitely know that that was Brian Wolf. What, what phrase is Isaiah Mile known for? I don't think I have one that I'm known for. I edit a lot of my podcasts. I go back and listen to them and and edit out all the edits out all the ums and okays and sure and i don't even hear it when i'm interviewing someone yeah so when i go back and listen to it i realize they said a thousand times and <laughs> i don't hear it until i'm re-listening to it and i'm trying to I, I don't have it i have we're big michigan fans i love jim harbaugh's attack each day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind i not to be cheesy but i just love that just yeah waking up every day what can i learn today how can i be better tomorrow than I was yesterday and yeah. live by that. I, I love the hard work pays off. That's a mantra I, I like that. I think it's been so true in my career and I've seen others that truly it is hard work, but I don't have one that I say that I can think of. All right. Or the team, the team, the team, right? Uh, well, you're yeah, probably yeah, living that more than anything right now. Right? Yeah. And I do want to spend some time saying that if you'll allow me to pander to my colleague, but I just, I love our team at PAVE, the leadership, yeah. the IT team, operations, implementation, customer service, just a special, unique team. And I'm thankful to work with them. 
Yeah, that's great. Okay, so then you'll have to think about that because I'll bet you are known for a phrase. Somebody, you're going to come back and tell me. We'll put a footnote on this. <laughs> okay. So then second question is, what is the hardest thing about, oh, I'm sorry. What's the hardest thing that you've ever done in life, not in parking, in life? Uh, I think I've told you this before, but every year I make a list of like goals crazy goals for the year and i did a ultra swim i was like i think i could do a an ultra swim so i did a never swam before high school or college and i could swim i grew up in the panama canal zone and they require all kids because of all the channels and floods and you have to get a swimming badge called the b badge as an early age but never knew how to like properly swim so i had to teach myself to swim and did a 10 mile swim that took me six hours and this lady named Sarah Thomas, who was the first person to swim the English channel four times back and forth. One, two, three, four, just wild. That's wild. But she was in the race and she did it in about three. I did it in about six and I was cramping my neck and hungry. And the last mile just seemed to go on forever. And I was in terrible pain. And then the second one was actually this year. I like to do a lot of weightlifting and things. And I, tore my rotator cuff in a freak accident and I was like I need to do something I looked up online and found there was a ultra race in the mountains near where I live it was a 50k in like a month and I was like or maybe six weeks eight weeks out and I was like I, I need to have a goal I can't not move it just helps me with my stress and think clearly so I trained for six to eight weeks and then not near these people run their whole lives and yeah. I was like, I ran a marathon before, 50K, that's 30-something miles. That doesn't seem hard, but I didn't know. It was like straight up a mountain, crossing creeks and rivers and climbing rocks. And I lost toenails. I My calves and ankles weren't working at the end. They have a Grim Reaper, Grim Reaper who there's cutoffs. And he if he catches you, he pulls you. And the whole time I would see him in the distance. <laughs> and I would just try to run to the next <laughs> checkpoint. But that was probably the biggest mind what of anything but th that yeah. and then the 10 mile uh, swim that's crazy so you made it you, you did the 50k i did yeah i made it before the cutoff might have i was last place literally from those that did not get pulled a lot of people yeah. don't make yeah. so I, I was last place out of those right. that <laughs> right <laughs> he actually caught me near the end and but i knew i had made i had met the last cutoff point yeah. He just said, I'm here to see you to the end. I can't pull you from the race unless for medical. And he said, to be honest, I could pull you for medical. You keep falling. I was tripping over roots and just my, like these people train their bones and their stress factor. They just, I just did not have the training and my yeah. body was not, I thought I was tough. And I was like, I have mad respect for these people that do these hundred mile races. That's just yeah, crazy. But that doesn't even sound like fun. All right. <laughs> yes. So the next question is, what's the hardest thing about your parking job? Hardest thing? Oh, man. It's never, I'm a very private person. I'm an introvert. So I never like having to go answer on a news, present in front of a city council, uh -huh. have the news interview me, have my name show up in the newspapers. It's been very good with pay, but I've had that in my parking career a lot because one of the book I was writing, if you mentioned earlier, is implementing paid parking. I'd say that's probably my specialty is how does a town go from nothing, having a parking problem to putting in a managed paid parking program? And I've done that 
30, 40 times in my career. There's always that. It, it's, it hurts. You're hearing business owners saying, you're going to ruin my livelihood. You're going to make us go bankrupt. And I'm, I show them the data. I show them. It's sometimes it's a trust me. And sure enough, I follow up typically after and they're like, wow, the spots have really opened up. All the employees yeah. are parking elsewhere. My business yeah. is booming and I feel great about it. But that's tough. I don't like conflict. I'm not afraid of it, but it's just generally, I'm not looking to have a fight every day. So sometimes those are the hardest part, I think, is the dealing with the public. Yeah. What's so funny is I listened to dozens of your podcasts before we were actually, I was actually on. And then when you said that you were an introvert, that I didn't believe that for <laughs> me. Yeah. So you, you hide it well. No. You hide it very well. But you also see me at the trade shows when you say, you see me yeah. head down running to the <laughs> hotel room. I've, I've learned a trick too, is you just hold your phone up and no one's on it. And I just walk yeah. by and everyone doesn't talk to me. And then during COVID, I'd wear a mask and they had wristbands and I'd put on red every time. It had nothing to do with COVID. It had to do with, he doesn't want to talk to people. <laughs> no, I, I do love people, but just, I do get drained pretty quickly and I got to recoup through, through rest. Yeah. 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 All right. A couple more questions here. If you could yeah. wave your magic wand and fix one thing in parking, what would you fix? Ooh. Probably the abuse the frontline staff takes, fucking oh, enforcement yeah. officers, cashiers, porters. And I love that there's been some changes, like some of the national organizations, IPMI, they're coming out with the frontline parking enforcement certification. And Cindy Campbell and some of the team does a great job training yeah. with them and making them feel seen and heard. And they had a great Parking Matters initiative years ago that was just wonderful, talking about why parking matters and helping get that messaging out, that abuse to the parking enforcement officers, uh, it, you know, that's got to end. And, uh, yeah. yeah, that'd be my one thing I'd fix. That's a good one. That's a really good yeah. All right. So when you're not parking cars, what do you do for fun? It sounds like you do ultra marathons and ultra swims. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because even like when Michigan won the national championship, my brothers are sending all this stuff about next year, here we're getting this person back and this is this person. And I was like over it. I mean, I, of course I'm going to be a lifelong fan, but like my personality is a little like that. I did an Ironman and now I'll never write a, do a, do a triathlon again. I've done an ultra marathon. I don't want it. So it's like, uh, it's like, I'm just very curious. I love to learn new things. This year I'm going to do a stand up paddleboard ultra race. So it's just, uh, I don't know my mind. I'm best when I'm using my mind, I'm trying to learn new things. I'm processing them. I'm, I'm, I'm happiest. So it's just. Really, every year is different. Some unusual hobbies I, we've talked about. I like to visit famous grave sites. So that's yeah. something fun. The dead presidents. Yeah, yeah, I've gotten every single dead president. Um, I think there was 38, 39 of them. And then, you know, I probably have 800 famous authors, athletes, painters, yeah, whatever. So that's, that's huh. been a hobby. For work, I would travel a lot. So anytime I would travel, I, I saw... Man, hundreds and hundreds of towns across America for parking. And I've yeah. been to 49 states, several provinces on behalf of uh, parking. parking, And so I just found that was my thing. See who's famous from this area, where are they buried? Do they have a house, a museum? I did that. And now I'm into national parks. I think that's my joy. I try to plan three to five national parks every year. And I'm at 29 out of 63. And that's what I'm focused on now. And then of course, okay. Michigan football, Michigan Lions. I love watching my team. I don't watch, I'm not one of those that watches 
every game on a Sunday. I don't really yeah. care. I like my team. I want to watch my team yeah. play, and that's about it. So. Well, the Lions are playing, so congratulations. We're all excited for the Lions. I'm even. I'm excited for the Lions. I did not. I grew up in Michigan, but I did not yeah. grow up a Lions fan. But are we going to make a prediction not. here too? Well, sure, go ahead. That they make it to the Super Bowl. Okay, but you're not predicting a win. I'm just saying. I think they're going to make it. They're going to. I think they'll play the Bucks. Bucks beat Eagles, and then they're going to play the Forty Niners, and I think they're going to upset and make it to the Super Bowl. We'll see what happens. That's my prediction. That would be great. All right. Oh, and quickly, uh, I got to say one last thing. I yeah, also have two boys, my family, and I uh, love spending time with them. And that's probably the highlight yeah. of, yeah. Of course. That almost goes without saying. <laughs> I know, I, but I, I don't want them listening to this and saying, yeah. Oh. You don't care about us, Dad. <laughs> All right. And then, so now, okay. So now here's your opportunity. What, what are you most proud of? Last question. Yeah. My boys, for sure. They're they're in high school now. One of them's in high school, and they're just turning it. It's it's especially like this summer. They turned to when I had that rotator cuff surgery. I gave them the talk about helping out around the house, and they just stepped up big time. And then they it's continued. It's like a night and day change. That I think some of that's on me. I'm a doer. I will do the yeah. do their laundry. I'll do the dishes, and they probably would, but they just know I like. Yeah doing stuff. And now when I had to sit back, they just took that ownership and now I'm letting them run with that. So that, and then parking, it's probably seeing some of the people that I used to manage or promoted and seeing them run their own organizations or run companies. And that's, I take a lot of pride enjoying that too. Yeah, that's good. I, I bet the, I bet the, uh, Isaiah Mao family tree is big. <laughs> yeah. Like the Harbaugh coaching tree. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's great. That's great. All right. So last thing here that I'm going to let you go, because I know you've got other things. What didn't I ask you that I should have to close us out? Again, try not to be too salesy. But you can, my email is Isaiah, I-S-A-I-A-H dot M-O-U-W at paymobility.com. Check out our website if you ever want to get in contact. I'm pretty big on LinkedIn. Check out my podcast. Oh, my, maybe my museum. I'm really proud of that. I don't know if yeah. you have a chance to see some of that, but if someone's yep. listening, I like to collect fun, funny, rare parking artifacts. I have a meter that was in the Cool Hand Luke movie. I have a brick from the garage that that collapsed in New collapsed York. Collapsed in New York. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. like I have like a Hot Wheels meter made, their first meter made, boy unopened. I early edition of Monopoly with the free parking. But if I'm just loving that. I'm buying stuff on eBay and auctions and people are donating stuff. So if you have something that you think is pretty Correct. interesting, an old meter, an old part, an old parking ticket from the 50s, anything like that. I love to get my hands on it and share it with the world. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. a, a, what a great, what a great cause. We'll get all that in the show notes, of course. And uh, hey, I just wanted to say it, it would, it was a real pleasure. It was a pleasure to flip the script on you for your hundred. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciated that more than, and it's been great to have you on. It's, it's good to see. I can see the confidence building a year into your new job. And I always say, I love to watch people. They go from hunkered down, like closed. I'm not quite sure if this yeah. is going to work. And then you can just see as they have success, they start to, yeah. they start to walk with a little bit of a swagger and I can the, see the swagger building. Oh, so congratulations no, for that. Humbly. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I think that's some feedback is patience. The, I knew when I started this job, I wasn't going to be cold calling people day one, talking about stuff. I don't know. I told my boss, give me patience. Let me learn it inside and out. Let me yeah. earn trust and then sell it. But 
And then also just want to thank you, Brian, for the mentorship and my career. And I think never found someone that speak, uh, has spoken negatively of you. And I just think that you're doing a wonderful yeah. job with Parker and your team and the podcast and just uh, so glad to have you in this industry. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. All right, I'll let you uh, get on with your day. Thank you again for your time. It's been great. And again, if you have any ideas about harder than it looks, now maybe we talk about ultra marathons or swimming 10K or 10 miles. That's crazy. 10 miles, yeah. Yeah, but I appreciate your time. Thank you. And I'll see you soon at a show, I'm sure. Yeah, I'll be staring at the ground trying to get to my room, but no, I'm kidding. But yeah, <laughs> thanks a lot, Brian. Right. Have a good one. Get you out of show. Yeah, go blue. Go blue, baby. And welcome back to segment two of Harder Than It Looks. In this segment, we try to find individuals who have done or do something that is harder than it looks. And I'm thrilled to be joined today by Larry Cohen, who has a CAP certification. Many of you probably know Larry has written at least two books. We'll get into that a little bit. In addition to being a minor celebrity on HBO, and then it sounds like he's got something else in the works, so we'll dig into that a little bit. But in addition to being an author and a TV personality or celebrity, Larry has been parking cars for 40 years, 40 plus years, actually. He worked in, he's worked in most sectors of the profession from owning his own parking company to parking cars at the University of Pennsylvania and Johns Hopkins University Hospital and the George Washington University. And Larry's currently in his 14th year as the executive director of the Lancaster PA Parking Authority running an accredited parking organization. Larry, welcome to Harder Than It Looks. Thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate you taking the time to have a conversation that'll hopefully benefit folks in their lives, whether they're looking for parking advice or writing a book advice or maybe even something greater. Yeah, no, it's great. No, this is going to be a great segment because We've crossed paths many times at parking shows and always had great conversations. So thank you for taking a minute out and for joining us. So tell me first, what was the inspiration for writing a book in the first place? Yeah, it's a good, it's a great question. I never thought I could write a book through my career. I've always written 1500, 2000 word articles for many of the publications out there. Yep. So I was pretty good at, pretty, pretty good at doing that. I could sit down one night and pop something out. Yep. But of course we all face the reality of COVID, <laughs> COVID and a lot of us, I don't like staying home. I like coming to work and my wife likes me coming to work. <laughs> so when I was at home for a certain period of time, uh, I was bouncing off the walls. I have a lot of energy. Yeah. And I just, just, what am I going to do with this COVID time? And I said, let me see if there's enough there that could warrant more than an article. And my wife was like, I don't, probably there isn't, but let me give it a shot. So I did an outline. I didn't know anything about writing a book. I literally took a piece of paper, wrote an outline. Like I could write out this and this. Yeah. And then I just started writing. I opened the computer, opened a Word doc. And just started writing and one story led to another, I'm a little bit obsessive. So I had notepads everywhere in the car, in the bathroom, 
good. On the nightstand, and I'd wake up at three in the morning and I'd quickly jot down something I was dreaming about. Uh, I dream about parking. I know that's crazy in itself. That's. And then I start, so I exhausted like what I could remember. Yeah. But I had gotten up to maybe 10,000 words. And then if I knew in my 20s that I'd write a book in my 50s, yeah. I would have taken better notes along the way. Yeah. You because know. I literally found myself going through every old file I had through all my jobs Yeah, that would either trigger stories or I found something that was a story Yeah, and just kept building from there. And then I, I started talking to my old team members and they would say, oh, do you remember this when this happened? So you're constantly just absorbing and writing down all these ideas and trying to make something out of it. So yeah. when I hit 20,000 words, I had my wife read. I'm like, it looks like something's coming together. I might have a 50 page book here and realized through doing research on how to write a book, how to publish a book. That was a lot of midnights on YouTube, <laughs> just researching because it was a very secretive thing before Amazon came. You yeah. had to hire a publisher, which yeah. folks can do, but so Spent a lot of time doing that research, spent a lot of time doing the writing. 20,000 words turned into 40,000 words. And yeah, there was a basis for a book, actually. All right. So it, how long is the book? How many words is the book? Is it 40,000? It's the first book. Should I show it or no? Yeah, sure. You can show it. Show it to us. We're on video. Let's take advantage. So the first book here. Yeah, there you go. The Quirky World of Parking. It's 42,000 words. Okay. And a friend of mine in the industry who runs a parking podcast, we all know. Yeah. He calls it the cult classic of parking. Oh, the Coke classic. Cult. Cult. Oh, cult classic. Called okay. it a cult classic. Okay. So to be, designated, to be designated a cult classic is uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. All right. So you got to pull out a story or two. Give me a, give me a good story, a good parking story that's in the book to, to entice all of our leader, our readers to, or listeners to, to go get the book. Yeah. So the first book, the first part of it's like a parking 101. Okay. So it's really good for folks new to the industry or newer to the industry. And it, it literally, there's a lot of definitions and, and best practices on what the parking business is about. Yeah. And then the second half of the book is all the crazy ass stories. Yeah. that we've all dealt with at one point or another. Funny stories, sad stories, nasty stories, nasty customers, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. One story, we all have a theft story, right? Yes. One of my favorite stories in the first book is called The Lego Room. And we had an employee who, for stress relief, took one of our storage rooms in one of the garages and set up a Lego table with Legos in there. And I yeah. remember when I first got here and I toured the garages and I saw, I was like, what the heck is going on here? We don't have little kids in our garage. No, this is our system manager's Lego room that he comes and deals with his stress and he builds Legos during the day. I said, okay, we all have employees with idiosyncrasies. Fine. What he was doing is using that room as laundering money. Oh. So he was collecting, he was at the right place at the right time. When we put in multi, I wasn't here at the time, so I don't take blame, okay. but they had put multi-space kiosks in and he was trained 
within the software and the hardware and he had all the keys and there was a, they didn't set up separations of control or anything at that time. Okay. We had full reign of cash and coin and he was laundering money into the Lego room and putting the, hiding the money under the Legos until he would come on the weekends and clear it out when no one was here and take it and cash it and take it to the coin stars at the supermarket and all that good stuff. So that two and a half over a hundred thousand dollars over the course of the year and a half. Wow. Wow. He got caught by, I had got, I had recently started, went into one of our vehicles and I don't know, just, I don't know what caused me to do it, but force a habit whenever I'd get in a car that I'm not familiar with, I always open the glove compartment and I always open the armrest. I don't know why. But I opened the armrest and hundreds of dollars came flying out like a money machine. <laughs> and that started the downward there. <laughs> End of that situation. Oh, that's funny. Yep. Okay. Funny that's, and sad. Yeah, it, it is sad. So uh, I don't know if Scott Gould. Yeah. Uh, Scott's on our team. Scott uh, lovingly. Uh, or otherwise refers to those folks as silent partners. We, everybody in parking had silent partners. <laughs> yeah. Not the kind yeah. that we really want. No. And in fact, hopefully technology's helped a little bit with that. I was going to say your technology's helped. That was like, that was 14 years ago. So today, not 90% of our cash transactions are now virtual. Yeah. So that's a good thing on many avenues. Yeah, for sure. Probably easier, easier to handle. He used to tell stories and poor listeners are going to hear this story again, but he used to tell stories about after big weekends, he'd walk across the street to the bank with a, with a grocery bag, a very unassuming grocery bag under his arm with 40 or $50,000 ash. <laughs> and he's, I was trying to be very unassuming because if anybody knew what was under my arm, they'd roll me. Yeah. Not a comfortable feeling. Yeah, probably not. No. Okay. All right. What's the most cash you've ever walked across the street with the, in the bank with? That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the early okay. days. All right. So for anybody that's listening, that's getting any smart ideas, that was yesterday. That doesn't happen now, right? Yeah. But, that's what the, they're the stories that us old timers talk about. That's <laughs> us old timers. That's funny. Okay. Oh, speaking of old timers. So tell us about parking 40 years ago and how far it's come. Just give us a little, just, just give us a little history lesson. Oh, well, I think we, we touched on it. It's the, my first, my first job was at 15. Yeah. And I was a valet parker. Sometimes I was a parking attendant. Sometimes the story of a shoebox is literally how a lot of lots ran. And some of the lots at the beaches still run that way because right. there's very, there's some reasons why they do it that way. Right. They don't, yeah. they don't want to know how much money they're actually taking in. Yeah. Uh, no, there was literally times where you'd, you'd be sitting there just with a box and you'd be making the change and doing all kinds of stuff. It feels um, very unsecure. It was <laughs> very unsecure. Yeah. The early days of gate arms and yeah. treadles. Treadles. What's treadles? a treadle? Huh? What's a treadle? Treadles are the, the spikes that come out oh. on the exit lane yeah, so yeah. that you can't come in yeah. on the exit. Yeah. They still use them at like rental car facilities. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you can't like steal the rental cars. Yeah. Some people still, I've had it done as recently as 10 years ago. And yeah, we got a car with four flat tires oh. trying to sneak out of the garage, the lot yeah. the wrong way. 
Yeah, treadles. Look them up. They're beautiful. Shark teeth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. Okay, yeah. So back to the book. So so you sat down. How long did it take you from when you from when that first time you opened Word to publish finished product? It was about eight months. Okay. Eight months. That's um, pretty, actually, that's faster than I thought you were going to tell. So. Yeah. I, as I said before, I'm pretty obsessive. So once I start something, I want to finish it. Yeah. So it was a daily, nightly, weekend routine. Yeah. The funny part is, so I write this novel. Yeah. I think it's the most wonderful thing ever done in parking. My brother-in-law is a uh, editor, a book editor in the medical field, and he, he edited the book. Okay. It came back with more red lines on it than I ever saw in one of my bad term papers in high school. Um, he, he shredded it apart, but he did a great job of editing. I didn't realize the extent of how you should write proper versus yeah. how you talk yep. and putting that in the writing. Uh, I would imagine he, he would rip me up too. Cause I, I generally write how I talk and that, that's probably not going to go over very well with it. That's care. okay. That's why there, there's the process, right? Yeah. You write your manuscript, your book, and everyone should have an editor to clean it up and make sure. Actually, the funniest thing with the first book I remember, so there's a part in the book about nasty customers. Yeah. And customers who use every curse word about you or your staff. Yes. And in the original manuscript, I put in the letter, the exact letters with the curse words and hateful sayings and yeah, you should all die and all that good stuff. And as an editor, you could keep them in there, but it doesn't really fit the voice and character of the book. Mm. So I had to, ultimately, you're the final say, but I had to make a concession to say, do I want to put that out there or do I want to make it yeah. what the editor's saying? Yeah. I felt pretty strong about keeping the nastiness there, the shock value there. Yeah. So people can really understand what we go through as professionals every day. Yep. But I backed off and I just put, I typed out what the information was. I didn't put the actual shocking letters yep. and such. One of the things is a picture like this, oh right? Oh my, yeah. <laughs> Good heavens. So someone created, took the time to create this and put them on all of our multi-space kiosks throughout the city. Oh my. So to me, I'm like, oh, this is good fodder for the book. Yeah. To other people, they were scared. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. But this, someone actually took the time to do this craziness. Yeah. So I keep it and it made good content for the book, right? To show to what extent people will go to to spew their venom about the business that we're in. It's so interesting to me. One of my missions, we talked, we were talking before we started taping about getting a wide swath of parking professionals on the podcast, because my secret hope is that I can make this thing cross over so that maybe even some common non-parking people will listen so they can appreciate really how hard parking is and how much abuse the frontline, our frontline people take. From people who just don't understand. They don't understand why parking isn't free. They don't understand why this stuff doesn't work or whatever it is. It's, it's really quite sad how much, how vile people can be. And it's just parking. 
I'm giving you the opportunity to park your car so that you can go do what you came downtown to do. And we haven't even touched on the politics of parking. Yeah. Which is a whole nother avenue of stress. Yeah. And it's hard enough just doing your job, but dealing with the politics, whether it's at a university yeah. or a municipality. Yeah. And the politics that play into things. Yeah. I just, one of my dear friends running another authority, doing a fantastic job, just lost his job, was terminated because of politics. Oh my. Yeah. A whole nother dynamic that we could spend a day talking about. Yeah. It's, it's so everybody, everybody wants to park under their desk as Don Charlie at UPMC says. And, uh, I, I, I've heard many university parking directors say there's plenty of parking, but people just don't want to park there because it takes them too long to get to their office or to the class. So, yeah. It might be five minutes versus two minutes. Yeah, for sure. All One right. So walk is too far. Yeah. So, okay. So you parked cars at the university of Penn and at George Washington university. Is that right? When you say park cars, is that your nice way of saying manage the programs? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When I saw, I, I had my own business. I, I started at 15 as a valet. Okay. And worked my way through high school and college for this one company. Yeah. Graduated college, went to work as a area manager. Yep. And thought I could do it better. And I started my own parking company. I grew up in Philadelphia and was lucky to get contracts with the stadium in Philadelphia at the time it was Veterans Stadium and we did all the parking for the luxury boxes for Phillies, Eagles, concerts nice. and such. And, and this is in my early twenties and getting phone calls at doing country clubs and restaurants and getting calls at two, three in the morning that Rolls Royce was damaged and such <laughs> took its toll on me. And I'm like, all right, I'm done with this profession. I have no life, no girlfriend. And I sold out at 30 and had it started to have a life. And, but then I missed the business. Yeah. I missed it and got back in at the university of Pennsylvania for the hospital there who wasn't being served by the university across the street. And they like my entrepreneurial background, created a parking and transportation and valet program for them, got recruited to Johns Hopkins hospital campus, and then a year as a consultant, which didn't go great because the company got bought sooner, soon after I got there, yeah. missed operations, went back to George Washington University in DC. And then I've been here running the, an independent municipal authority for 14 years. Yeah. They call parking hotel, California. You, you once you're here, you can't leave. And so it gets into your blood and it, it sounds like a lot of people, you have a love hate relationship with it. You love it, but it's grueling. You got it. It is, really but. Pretty. I write about it in the first book as far as if, t if everyone has 10% of what they do that they hate doing. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what profession it is. But if you like 90% of what you do, then you're okay. And we all complain about our customers and these crazy scenarios. But as someone who runs, runs an authority or as a director at a university, I actually love what I do. I have a passion for parking, right? Yeah. Very because cool. you get to touch on so many things, construction, economic development, technology, personnel, marketing, you really finances, yeah. you, you get to really, it's very diverse yeah. and I feel blessed in my position that I've been able to really touch a lot of things and 
do big boy Legos, not the stealing of the Legos, but yeah. big boy Legos and, and build garages and support economic growth and development of our community and be a voice in the industry that to let folks know that we do more than park cars. My neighbor, I told him I was writing a book and he said, what can't you tell me in five minutes <laughs> that you're going to write a book about it? And I had a lot of people say, really, you could fill a book up with what you do, but it's eye-opening for folks who aren't in the business. Yeah, for sure. That, it certainly was eye-opening to me when I started eight years ago. Okay. So you sit down, you write the book, it gets edited. How many times was it edited? How many times did you go back and forth with your brother-in-law? Twice. Okay. All right. So twice. And then did you publish, did you self-publish it? Yes. I, the fine, I looked at writing the book as a business. I did look at it as a business. I didn't mind laying out X amount of money. Sure. But I didn't want to, my goal was to make back what I put into it. Yeah. So I had talked to publishers and folks and got a gist for how much money you actually make with a book. Yeah. Surprise. You don't make a lot of money with a book unless you're Stephen King. <laughs> and I'm not Stephen King. Right. So I decided to streamline and go to Amazon. Okay. As a self-publisher. Now, Amazon still takes 70% of the price of your book. Really? Yeah. So if your book's $10, they take $7 for every book. You get $3. Okay. Now they publish, they, they print the book on demand. You don't have to buy cases and cases of books anymore. Okay. So they print on demand the book, they mail it out. And of course they advertise it Yeah. to a certain degree. You have to spend money if you want to advertise it more. Yeah. But typically I'm making three to $4 a book. Okay. So they're taking a big chunk and I figured... It's real. I don't want to divide the $3 a book with somebody else. Cause if you have a middleman publisher, you're, so I decided to go the Amazon route and it's worked out well. Yeah. Okay. So I learned something. All right. So you wrote a second book then that you just published, right? Okay. And yeah, sure. So different cover. Yeah. More true stories. There you go. Okay. Perfect. Yep. A funny picture. I surprised myself because when, it, when people finished reading the first book, they said, I love the book, but I want more stories. Yeah. I want more crazy stories. I didn't know if I had enough, but I keep a file. Yeah. And it filled up a certain percent of the book. And then this time, the first book was all my stories. The second time I started asking friends for stories. Yeah. And I incorporated some of their stories. Now, the caveat. A lot of people buy my book and don't read it and that's okay. They put it on the shelf, like Brian right here. And that's okay if you don't read it. But for those who don't like to read, the second book has 150 pictures in it. Yeah, I did notice that. Color pictures. So yeah. there's more pictures than writing. It's a picture book for those who don't want to read it all. Back to third grade on the second book. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you got the second book out there now. I, I just heard, I don't think it's a rumor. It, it sounds like you're working on something even bigger. What, what do you got? What do you got cooking? So another thing that inspired me through writing the books was I've had many people tell me now that they read the book, whether they're in the industry or not. Yeah. Like, wow, 
parking is ripe for comedy. Yes. <laughs> it's ripe for comedy. Even the sad stories are ripe for comedy. Yeah. So I said, wouldn't this be my dream? Go big or go home. My dream would be to make a TV comedy. Why park cars for a living? I know nothing about the entertainment industry. Yeah. So I spent a, about a year researching how the heck does someone who doesn't have contacts in the industry get into the industry? How does that process work? Right. It's just totally different than writing a book. Yep. So I came across an agent whose mission was to serve folks who don't have, have access to the industry, gain access to the industry. Okay. They were willing to take on the newbie yep. with an idea. And they might not go that far, but you can at least pitch your idea. Yeah. So I pitched my idea. I had written, I had done some, I had written a, like a pilot episode. Yeah. And I had written a premise for what I thought the story would be. Okay. And I always said it would be Parks and Rec meets Parking Wars. <laughs> yeah. My concept for a TV show. Yep. I got past that level. They were like, this is viable. And then they presented me with a platform of about 12 different producers. Okay. Who they thought would be a good match for what I'm trying to do. And I picked one of those producers and I had an interview with him and he did a report card and said, this is viable. There's a chance that this could happen. So that was another step. Yeah. And that producer agreed that he would work with me because he had interest in it. Yeah. And he read the book and we spent about a year working on what the heck a story, what would the story look like? Now he originally started with, I don't know if folks know, there was a show called Reno 911. Yep. Which is a crazy show i was a little bit familiar with it i wasn't that familiar yeah he mentioned that i binge watched it with my wife and my wife is that really what is that really what you want your story to be because it's over the top yeah and you can't do that a lot of that comedy today that you did 10 years ago yeah and i said i entrust in the producer if this is what he wants to do I'll, i'm on board so we spent about three or four months on that Reno 911 concept. He took it to the, the higher ups at his studio. He's a, he works for a Hollywood studio. Okay. And they, they said, yeah, we want to go more parks and rec than uh, Reno 911. So we had to pivot three, three or four months in and regroup and go down this journey. So. Literally, it's been going back and forth for the better part of about eight months now. And we have a concept of what the show would be, where it would be set, the locations, the 12 characters and stories behind them and how it would play out. And then just last month, we hired someone to write the pilot episode. Okay. And we're going to work on that over the next couple months. So we'll have the premise for the show. Yep. We'll have the pilot episode and then it'll go to market. And hopefully, fingers crossed, someone is interested.
Yeah. Okay. All right. So then the pilot episode, will it air on a streaming platform or don't you know, or how, how does that work? It will. So the whole, that package will be put together. Okay. And it will go out to market to the Netflixes, the Hulus, the ABC, okay. the Fox, the, yeah, yeah. any network or streaming service. Yeah. Okay. It will go out to them. Yep. Say, do you want to buy the rights to the book and this concept? And then they hopefully, fingers crossed, still a million to one shot. Sure. That someone actually buys it. And then if they buy it, hopefully it gets made into it. At least hopefully they do a, a hopefully they do the pilot episode and bring in a test audience and they change the whole darn thing all yeah. the way they want to change it. Yeah, yeah. So Larry, you could single-handedly change the perception of parking through the Parks and Rec meets Parky Wars. Do you have a name for this show yet? That's a heavy lift, Ryan. I feel the, the, the pressure of the industry on my shoulders. <laughs> yes. The working title, which I came up with, I was proud. that the, He wanted to use the working title Spaced. Okay. Oh. Or space, yeah, spaced. Spaced. Yeah. And I, I want to use the working title. The authority. So it's the working title is the authority. It could be changed a hundred times between now and yeah. yeah, whenever. Yeah. That's funny. Okay. All right. What didn't I ask you that I should have asked you? If you want to be self-fulfilling, and I said this to you before that I am very thankful to you and your team for asking me to take part in this. And I'm not a client. Yeah. Okay. But as I've told you, when I've seen you in person, I really admire your product. It really revolutionizes our industry. It is a game changer and it's written about in my book where I was in Lake Tahoe yeah, and I saw your, I used your technology for the first time and was very impressed. And then I walked about 50 feet away where someone was using the biggest size storage container I'd ever seen with a little slot in it <laughs> using Chuck E. Cheese tickets to pay for parking 50 feet away. So the dynamic of the latest and greatest technology to yeah. the most basic K and display yeah. <laughs> 50 feet away was very interesting to me. And it was a very funny story within one of my books. Yeah, no, it's a great story. I appreciate that you included us. And as far as the invitation, as I said, we're just trying to get as many people that have good stories to tell on the podcast, because I, I want to entertain people. And, and tell the parking story again, the, the, the title says it all, right? It's harder than it looks. And anybody that isn't in parking has no idea. Again, I think about probably the authority for you, the parking authority, any university parking director, I believe that, and you could probably corroborate this, you get one degree separated from parking and people have no idea. So you're, your boss, and then certainly your boss's boss. They're like parking. How hard could it be? Why are we spending so much time on parking? Yeah. And you, and you asked me earlier, going back 40 years, 
what has changed. And it, it, it just now triggered in me that 40 years ago, anyone can do, like the thought was anyone could do parking, put yeah. anyone there. Yeah. Oh, we're laying this guy off. Don't lay him off. Let him run parking. Yeah. And I've tried to make an omission as well as a lot of folks in the industry to, to show that there's a true, it's a true profession. Yeah. It's, nope. we are professional folks, not just someone who's yes. taken off the street. But even to this day, as I talked about earlier, I had a friend running authority who got terminated for political reasons. And the person put in that place was like just a friend of a friend kind of situation. Yeah. And he's got to learn from the ground floor up. And even who knows if he's qualified. So the industry with certification yeah. and education, it's just so important to let folks know that, yeah, there not anyone can do it. It is, there is a, a degree of experience that's important and professionalism that's important. And yeah. those organizations that understand that and respect that are better organizations. Yeah, no question. The, one of the other things I think that sticks out to me about parking professionals is you talked about how you didn't have a life in your twenties when you were parking cars. There is a level of above and beyond and grittiness that it takes to be a parking professional because those cars are coming, whether you're ready or not. And they are very demanding around their parking spots. And they and have I will, And I will also add that when I met my wife to be, I told her like, this is the, this is what you're getting into with me. I'm yeah. in a profession that some people can stay in one place for their whole career. Yeah. But if you're, looking to ride the ladder, the corporate ladder, yeah. you're going to have to be willing to move at some yeah. point because yeah. we're not doctors, we're not nurses, we're not lawyers that there's hundreds of us in every city. There's usually not that many senior level parking professionals. Right. And if you're, you know, you're going to have to be willing to move if you want to move your career. And I had told my wife at the time, like, we're probably going to have to, I don't know what my career is going to be, yeah. but you're going to have to be prepared that we might have to move one yeah. or two or three times. Yeah. And, uh, oh, that's how it played out. Yep. Yeah. You're going to have to move around. That's, uh, that is absolutely from true. an operations side, obviously yeah. not from, from your side as much, but yeah. Yeah. But again, it's lots of stories. We just talked to Isaiah Mao the other day and, you know, he talked about what the, one of the things that was most appealing about him when he was young, when he got hired into parking is that he could move. And so they bounced him around and opened up lots of different geographies because yeah, private sector. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was easier. He's still young. So I don't know. Yeah, he, he really is still young. He, he's a, he has a bright parking mind for sure. Yes. Yep. For sure. Okay. Larry, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for the books. I can't wait. It, tell me what I can do. How can I support you with this show? We have 3 million recordings of nasty customers yelling at our CSRs. I, I don't know if any of that could be helpful to you when you go into production, but set, you know. go, go through them and send me the best. Yeah. Send, oh, send me at, the best. If someone's stripped down naked and wrote <laughs> with their lipstick on their arm or chest, like you parking guys suck, uh, 
and I don't want to get dirty here, but yeah. you can read between the lines. Sure. Yeah, that's what I have my staff do. Like when they get the juicy, the worst of the worst, yeah, they go in the file for the next book. Yeah. Or a premise for uh, the TV show. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm sure we can mine our archives for gold. I'm sure there's gold in them for sure. I look forward to hearing them. All right, Larry, thank you again. And we appreciate your time. We appreciate all that you've done on behalf of all of the parking customers for being the professional that you are. You're, you are the quintessential parking professional and parking geek time. What's parking that? Geek. Parking the, geek. For sure. Yeah. Uh, well, you, yeah. I hope I entertained and provided some good information. If anyone's interested in writing a book, it doesn't have to be about parking, writing yeah. a book about anything and they need some guidance please reach out. Okay, that's a wrap on this episode of Harder Than It Looks, Parking Uncovered, presented by Parker Technology. Please leave us a review if you liked what you heard. Make sure you tune in next month as we continue to uncover tips, tricks, and best practices to manage what we all know is harder than it looks, parking a car. Bye for now.